0: we went to the annual fellowship meetings of our Baptist Network Northwest it was down in Tacoma and uh, it's been a while since we've been able to go period uh, and much less to go together to one of those things so we had had a great time of fellowship with uh, some of our friends and uh, had some good teaching on worship and and some good uh, experience of worship and uh, some of our fellowship happened around the meals, of course. We were sitting at the table uh, with a fellow and his wife that was speaking. Her uh, name is Tony Beckett. And uh, she sat down, or we sat down, and and I noticed her doing this. And I'm I'm kind of looking at my shirt like, is there something wrong? And she was reading the back of the yogurt cup. <laughs> and I th- I thought, uh, I know you're from the East Coast, but, you know, come on. Um, She's reading real close. And then she goes... She goes, you can get one of those or or something like that. Well, she was reading the back of the yogurt cup to see if it had any wheat flour in it because he found out about a year or so ago that he's extremely gluten intolerant, has celiac disease, I believe it's called. And uh, the sad truth in his life is is that he used to be diagnosed with another illness, uh, which now they have an actual test for the gluten problem and uh, he has struggled with this problem for years and years. And because it was not diagnosed properly, he just thought that's the way his life was going to have to be. And once it got diagnosed, in fact, he went to the doctor. They did this test. And, uh, you know, later on in the week, the doctor's office was going to call. And he said, they called while I had a bagel in my mouth. <laughs> and he said, that's the last bite of that kind of food that I've had. He has scrupulously careful because it just makes him very ill he had the symptoms but he didn't know what it was from he kept eating the very thing that was making him sick and i want to share with you today that i think many christians are doing the same thing in their spiritual life a lot of christians know that there are certain things they should do or shouldn't do but they don't seem to be able to get there the problem's seem to keep plaguing them, and they don't know why. And what I would like to suggest to you as a very foundational element of the Christian life that I want to talk about for the next several weeks is this. How you think determines how you act. Now, on some venues, that's really obvious. We know that. Um, but on other venues and on other concepts, it's not so obvious And so today we want to introduce the idea and look at some some key ideas from Scripture. And we're going to continue on for a number of weeks and and, uh, try to understand what it means to think like the Lord. In fact, I've titled my sermon, Are You Out of Your Mind? And the answer to that question should be, if I were to say to you, are you out of your mind, what do you think the answer should be? The answer should be, I hope so. And the reason the answer should be, I hope so, is because sometimes it's hard for us to know how we're thinking, but when we really get our thinking right, we are going to have the mind of Christ. And so you need to be out of your mind. You need to be out of your mind. And that's what I want to help you understand today a little bit better, uh, starting from James chapter 3. In verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The first thing that I want you to understand today from this text right here is this. Thoughts are spiritual in nature. One of our real challenges in our thinking life is to assume that thoughts just are what they are. They just appear. They're just there in my brain. No, God says there's two sources of wisdom. One is from above, one is from below. One is heavenly, the other is hellish. One is righteous, the other is demonic. Your thoughts are either earthly or... Heavenly. Now I'm not using the term spiritual here like we often use it in church. We often use the term spiritual to mean righteous or mature or a godly person. We would say that's a very spiritual Christian, and we mean that's a person who's really living for the Lord. I'm not using the word that way. I'm using the word the way God uses it often to say, Listen this, there are two kinds of spirits in the world. Godly, and ungodly there is the heavenly there is the hellish or demonic and your thoughts come from one of those two sources now i i'm sure I'm, i hope i've got your mind running maybe you're even arguing with me in your mind right there that's great that's right where i want you to be because i want you to think about this because i'm convinced not enough christians do think about their thoughts Nobody gets up in the morning and says, Boy, I'm going to think like the devil. Well, maybe not nobody, but none of you. You don't. I understand that. I believe that. I believe that I don't get up in the morning thinking that I'm going to think like the devil today. I don't do that. But the greater question is this Do you think about how you're going to think? Do you get up saying, I'm going to think like the Lord? No. What we do is we get up and we just do what we did yesterday. And we think what we thought yesterday. And we get the results that we got yesterday. I want you to understand that your thoughts are spiritual. They're either natural in a spiritual way, or they are supernatural. There is no such thing as a neutral thought. They are either from heaven or hell. This is the thesis that that I'm going to try to prove to you from the Scripture today and carry out in the next few weeks. There are no such things as neutral thoughts. Now, I know we could think up some real innocuous things like, well, I'm trying to decide between cinnamon and ginger. Surely that's neutral. It's not righteous or sinful. I would submit to you that every thought and every action that you have, either traces its origin to something godly or it traces its origin to something natural or earthly and what god says here is if it's earthly it's also demonic ouch really yeah yeah i really think that what is a natural here's what i want to tell you natural thoughts are detrimental what is a natural thought what is a natural thought in the new testament god uses the word natural to describe the condition of a human being who is not a child of God by faith in Christ as Savior. In other words, that person is natural. He or she is just the way they were born. They're natural. Nothing added, if you will. Kind of like one of those those chickens on the TV commercials trying to say they're a Washington grown when really, no, they're from Arkansas. (laughs) We know how wicked everything from Arkansas is. No, they are just the way they are. You are just the way you are until you come to faith in Christ. And so how do natural people think? We find it in Ephesians 2. And he's talking about salvation in Ephesians 2. And he's talking to Christians about how they used to be. And he says, you he has made alive who were in your old natural life, dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. Everybody lived like an unbeliever when they were an unbeliever. We all lived that way in the strong desires of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath, just as the others. Until a person comes to faith in Christ, their whole realm of living just is what it is. And it's based out of the strong desires of the flesh. Now, some of those desires look more wicked than others. But it is the wicked thing to God is living by our passions. It's not just the activity Okay, We all understand that one of the desires of the flesh is sexual activity. In marriage, it's righteous. Outside of marriage, it's unrighteous. If we live by the passion, God says that's how unbelievers live. Believers live by making decisions based on the Word of God and saying, how should I live? And they choose to live in obedience to the principles of the Word of God. They don't just live by whatever feels good. A natural thought is a thought that is entirely common with mankind who does not know God. If your thoughts, if the thoughts that you have fit right in with your neighbors who are unsaved, those thoughts are probably natural. The natural man does not understand the things of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us. A natural thought is a thought that an unbeliever thinks. Where do the natural thoughts come from? Well, first of all, verse 3 tells us that uh, they come from our flesh. Okay? Our flesh craves certain things. We're sinners by nature, and that includes our mind. See, one of the challenges, one of the things that we have not stopped to consider as believers is this. It's not just your body or your actions that are sinful. Your mind is either sinful or righteous. And before you come to Christ, your thoughts are sinful because they come right up out of your flesh. And what does the flesh think up? The works of the flesh are evident or plainly seen, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, that's uncontrolled anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this tells us several things. Number one, all that stuff we just read is completely natural. When you see somebody who is a murderer and you think, how could someone do that? Well, just think about the next time you're upset with somebody and you're really angry. If you just let go of that anger, you'd be there. That's what Christ said. He said it's not just wrong to kill somebody, it's wrong to hate them. Hate leads to murder. It comes right up out of our flesh. All of those other things come right up out of our flesh. Envy. Why do we envy? It's just in us as human beings. All of the thoughts that go with all of these behaviors are just natural to our human flesh. They're there. It's not just a product of education. It's not just a product of experience. It's there in our flesh. Here's a summary of what a fleshly thought is. If it feels good, do it. That little advertising jingle was based straight on human nature. If it feels good, do it. Now, you you and I can't quite understand how murder feels good to somebody. But I'm telling you, it feels good to those people who do it. Not good like, oh, I'm happy with my life, but oh, good, I just even the score or oh, good. It feels good to them. It thinks good to them. It fits right in line with the way they think and the way they act. And so does envy, and so does uncontrolled anger, and so does all those other things. If it feels good, do it. Jesus put it this way. For out of the heart, the inner man, and and by the way, when we use the word mind, we're not just talking about the gray stuff between your ears. It's your whole way of thinking that's part of your inner person sometimes god uses the word heart sometimes he uses the word mind for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders adulteries fornications thefts, false witness blasphemies all of these things are natural to mankind frankly that's why we can't control them in our society i mean we have laws we have punishment we have some social mores against certain behaviors but people keep doing these things and we see even more heinous things when we see somebody, somebody who starves a kid to punish him, locks him in the closet and doesn't feed him, and we think, what's wrong with you? And we like to say, no sane person would ever do that. L- l- let me encourage you to take the word insane and sane out of your vocabulary and use the word sinful and righteous. Because somebody who does that is enslaved in sin. And it comes right up out of the human flesh. The longer you've been a Christian, the harder it may be for you to grasp that. I I don't know. But this is the way human nature is. And so the thoughts that are natural flow right in line with this. They are natural. They come right up out of human flesh. Now, there's a second source for natural thoughts, and the second source is the, the unsaved world. We we read it here in Ephesians 2. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that if, if you have a thousand people who are unbelievers and they're all living in community in wherever it is, that the stuff they will come up with will naturally be not godly. And if you are the one righteous person living in the midst of those thousand, you are being pressed by the thousand. Not because they get up in the morning and say, you should live in sin. No, they just get up in the morning and live natural. And so what they're doing is just what we read, and here you are trying to live righteously, and all of this stuff, like the waves of the sea, are pushing on you. That's one of the biggest challenges we have as Christians. You, you go to work, there's a society there. there you know, there's a group of people, and they, they either think natural or they think godly. And if they're constantly thinking really natural thoughts... It presses on you, and you go to high school and From what I understand they, there isn 't a whole lot of godly thinking going on it 's just all natural and of course they don 't get up in the morning and try to figure out how to make people 's lives miserable. they just get up and live natural, and you go there as a as an unsaved or as a, as a Christian high schooler. And, 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 and you're trying to walk against the tide and it's pushing back on you. And that's a great struggle. Or, or you, you go to your civic, uh, your community club that you're involved with, or maybe in your family, there, there is a preponderance of unsaved people. Or you go to the family reunion and they're all talking about all these natural thoughts, all the stuff of their life. And you're kind of going, oh man. Thinking is either natural or godly. And we get a tremendous amount of our ungodly thoughts, our natural thoughts from the world. Listen to what Romans 1 says. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Do you understand that it's, the problem in the world is not that they don't know the truth, but they don't like it. Because what may be known of God is manifest or plain in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him. They knew, but they rebelled. Nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. People who don't know the Lord, some of them, dare we say, based on the scripture, the majority of the unsaved world actively suppresses the truth. We talk about a a baby being a human being from the moment of conception. No, 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 it's just a mass of tissue. And yet it becomes a human being. And we think, this seems pretty simple, doesn't it? And then, frankly, it is quite simple, but it's not very comfortable. And so the truth is suppressed. And we could go on with lots of examples. The unsaved world is a tremendous source of our, unbelie- or of, of, of our natural thoughts. The unbelieving world actively rejects God's truth, And what is the result of rejecting God's truth? We're not going to turn to Romans 1, but look at these results. It says, because they have rejected God's truth and suppressed his truth, there is futile thinking, there is darkened thinking, there is foolish thinking, there is immoral actions, there is vile passions, and there is unlimited godliness. Now, I just want to to give you an example of this, just one and this is, in essence, what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks as we look at some specific areas of how people think and how Christians should think. And the one example I want to give you, because I can give you both ends of it, is this. A guy named Dan Quayle ran for president. And Dan Quayle claims to be some kind of a Christian. I'll take his word for it. I don't know him. But one of the things he said that boy just made people laugh at him and say what a ignorant conservative right-wing rube he is 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 uh he was running on the Family Values platform, and somebody asked him, or else he made this comment in a speech, that a TV character named Murphy Brown was planning to have a child out of wedlock. She was planning to get pregnant by artificial insemination and, and have this child because she wasn't married and really didn't want to be married, but she wanted to have a child. And Dan Quayle had the audacity to stand up and say, well, I don't think that's really the best way to have a family. That's the Lunsford summary of what he said. And all the media and the the liberal experts said, Oh, you're a fool and you're an idiot, and look how stupid he is. And, and, you know, I don't know if that contributed to him not being elected, but he was not elected. And lo and behold, a few years later, in a liberal magazine, do you know what the title of the article was, Heard Round the World? Dan Quayle was right. Now, here's how they found out he was right. They did a whole bunch of sociological study. You know what that is? That's when you look at families, you look at kids, and you take notes on the condition of their life. And when you're done, you synthesize all that information together and you come up with some stuff like this. The soci- and this is the article. Do you see how thick that is? It's this much in the middle and it's this thick. I copied that off the internet this week. So this is a this is an intellectually serious article. It was published in the uh, oh like the Atlantic Monthly, which is a magazine that takes itself seriously. Well, I don't know whether it should be, but the social science evidence is in. Though it may benefit the adults involved, the dissolution of intact two-parent families is harmful to large numbers of children. Moreover, the author argues. The author argues, family diversity in the form of increasing numbers of single parent and step parent families, does not strengthen the social fabric, but rather it dramatically weakens and undermines society. Duh. According to a growing body of social science evidence, social scientific evidence. Children in families disrupted by divorce and out-of-wedlock birth do worse than children in intact families in several measures of well-being. Children in single-parent families are six times more likely to be poor. They are also likely to stay poor longer. 22% of children in one-parent families will experience poverty during childhood for seven years or more. They are also more likely to drop out of high school, to get pregnant as teenagers, to abuse drugs, to be in trouble with the law compared with children in intact families. Children from disrupted families are at much higher risk for physical or sexual abuse. Contrary to popular belief, many children do not bounce back, quote-unquote, after divorce or remarriage. Difficulties that are associated with family breakup often persist into adulthood. Despite this growing body of evidence... It is nearly impossible to discuss changes in family structure without provoking angry protest. Translate that they suppress the truth. You understand? What I'm showing you here is this, folks. The world is going to come up with stuff that directly opposes God's word. And, and, and they're going to have some scientists to support it. And we're going to go, oh, we're all ignorant rubes just believing in God. What a foolish position for us. And five or ten years down the road, those same people in white coats are going to go, remember that stuff we were talking about back then? It's all rubbish which means we need to resist the pressure from the world to think ungodly because ungodly thinking always leads to futility, to a darkened or an inability to understand, to foolishness, to immorality, to vile passions, to unlimited ungodliness. That's where natural thinking will take you. That's why I'm so worked up about this because our problem as Christians is we don't know, we're thinking natural thoughts. The world pushes and, and we go, oh, that sounds reasonable. Next thing you know, we look like this list and we're going, Pastor Dave, how did I get here? Now, I'm not personally criticizing you. I, I'm talking about the whole Christian world here, at least the part of it that I'm familiar with. But I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Isn't that in the Scripture several times? I want you to understand because there's one more source of our ungodly thinking, of our natural thinking, and it's the devil. Look at Ephesians 2. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I don't know how the devil works in the sons of disobedience. I'm not here to tell you they're all possessed. I don't believe that. I don't know if he whispers in their ear. I don't know if he whispers in one guy's ear and he whispers to everybody else. I don't know how it happens. I just know that the devil is the force behind the thoughts of the world. And you need to understand that. In fact, really what happens with our flesh, the world, and the devil, is they all work together in an unholy concert. The devil wants you to think and do anything but what pleases God. So, he inspires the world around you to have values and morals that draw you away from God, and those common thoughts of the world press on your flesh. And you are tempted. It's no secret that men have a struggle with the purity of their eyes. God made men to be aroused physically at the sight of a naked woman. That is God created. There's nothing wicked about that. But the devil knows that. And so the devil goes... How could I distract Dave Lunsford? I know. I'm going to tell people in the world that it's normal to not wear very many clothes. In fact, what I'm going to tell them is, the woman who really shows what she's got is really sophisticated and mature. And so this poor woman who doesn't know the Lord, she hears the world say to her, if you're really sophisticated, you will show it off. Now, she doesn't want to sexually arouse anybody. But she wants to be sophisticated. And so she dresses in a way that is sophisticated. And her picture is taken and put on billboards and in magazine ads. And when poor Dave Lunsford schleps down the road going to McDonald's for breakfast, he has to do what David said in the Psalms, I will keep my eyes straight forward. That's how the devil and the world and my flesh work together. And the only way I can conquer it is to think differently than the world. Because if I foolishly absorb this thought, you know, that's really sophisticated. Now... We can all look at that example and go, well, any guy who would try to pass that off as sophisticated thought, that guy's a schmuck. He's just trying to cover up his sin. But I would submit to you that there are many other areas of sin that are much more subtle. And that's where we get in trouble. For that matter, if any of those thoughts are pressed upon us and pressed upon us and pressed upon us, eventually we start to go, well, you know, it's really not that bad. You know. Everybody's doing it. You know, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. And every one of those thoughts that I just mentioned, themselves (laughs) are the thoughts of the world, much less the actual wicked thought of sexual lust. That's what I'm talking about. The devil pushes on the world, and the world pushes on my flesh, and I am tempted. And if I don't get my mind lined up with the mind of Christ... I am not going to succeed. Natural thoughts are detrimental. Did I look at where they lead? We're going to go on. Um, Godly thoughts are transformational. Godly thoughts are transformational. Listen to Romans 12, and this is the verse, I've given you these two verses in the application section of your notes to memorize, and if you haven't memorized them, I hope you will, especially verse 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There are two key words here, conformed and transformed. The word conformed means an outward appearance, an outward likeness. And here's the truth. He's talking to Christians. And if you're a Christian, you can never go back and be natural. You can never go back and be unsaved. But you can live like the unsaved world. God calls that being conformed to the world. Um, I didn't bring any clothes with me today to do this, but if, if, if this was a shirt and I put the shirt on, and the shirt is worldly behavior, I would be conformed to the world. Inside, it's still the same person, but I'm wearing this shirt. And he says, "Don't do it. Don't act like the world. Instead of acting like the world, what is the what is the alternative?" Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed, I believe, is referring to your behavior. Let your behavior, let your life be totally changed by the renewing of your mind. If your mind does not become the mind of Christ, your behavior will not become the life of Christ. There there certainly is Christian behavior modification And I use the word Christian loosely. In other words, even as a parent to a child, we can say, act this way or don't act that way. And if we never address the heart, there's no change. But there is behavior modification. We could do that in our church. Um, I could, I I wouldn't, because I think it's wicked, but I could come up with a set of standards and I could manipulate you by guilt to all dress a certain way or act a certain way in church. But all it is is behavior modification on the outside. What God wants is transformation on the inside, and He says it starts in your mind, in your thought life. Be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One of the other key verses that we're going to look at is this Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Are you out of your mind? I hope so. Are you out of your mind? hope so. You could also say, I'm working on it. (laughs) I'm serious. You need the mind of Christ. I need the mind of Christ. My own mind won't do. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. Get the mind of Christ. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The truth here, and I want to be clear on this, I don't want to send you away thinking you've got to go out and grab for the mind of Christ. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, your sinful nature was washed away, the power of it was killed, but your flesh still is tempted to sin. At the same time, that God took away your sin and the penalty of that. He put the mind of Christ in you, but it's not fully developed, just like your righteous behavior is not fully developed. And it's in that sense that we need to pursue the mind of Christ. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Unity in the church comes when we are all taking on the mind of Christ. When we are all thinking like Him. 1 first Peter, first Peter 1 therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That's that, that word that we encountered when we studied the, uh, the uh, armor of the Lord. It means take it and wrap it around you. Gird up your mind with, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourself, not acting like the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. I gave you this passage in particular to say, look, holiness starts with a righteous mind. That's where it's got to come from. Um change does not happen in our lives because of a mountaintop experience like an inspirational church service or a week at camp or some great blessing from the lord those may be the beginning of change or the vision for change but real growth in christ requires a daily alignment of my mind with the mind of christ which brings us to today's point of action godly thoughts are intentional Godly thoughts will not happen by accident any more than your bed will get made by accident in the morning. Although I know for some of you, if your mom walked into your room, she'd go, whoa, what accident happened here? The bed is made. No, if you're like me, you throw the covers back and you get up. And you walk on to your morning routine. And later when you come back, by a miracle of God, the bed has been made. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still not an accident, is it? <laughs> and your righteous thinking will not be accidental. Some people have, have said to me in the past... I know what I should be doing, but I feel like doing this other thing. So if I do the right thing when I feel like this thing, then I'm a hypocrite. No, no. (laughs) You're a hypocrite if you're telling me you're doing the right thing, but you're not doing it. That's what a hypocrite is. You're you're not going to wake up in the morning and feel like thinking righteously 100% of the time. But you need to make a decision when you get up in the morning that says... I am going to have a zero-tolerance policy for ungodly thoughts. That's my plan for the day. My plan is to be intentional, intentional about godly thoughts. The first part of that intentional thinking is this. You must receive Christ as Savior. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. One of the things that happens to you, friend, is when you believe in Christ as Savior, the spirit of truth comes in. If you're going to have real, true thoughts, you must have the spirit of God. And that only happens when you believe in Christ as your Savior. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Number two, you must respect the giver of truth. Proverbs one seven says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and destruction. One of these days I'm going to share with you some thoughts that I've had about the foundation of righteous behavior, of how it's a series of building blocks, but this is one of the key foundational elements. You have to believe in God. In fact, Hebrews 11 puts it this way. You must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You need to say, I respect God. I fear God so much that I am going to do what he says. I am going to think what he tells me to think. If you do not have that kind of respect for God, you will not have your thinking transformed. Because as long as you are still trying to say, well, God's thinking, the world's thinking, eh, you know, you're going to go over here every time. In fact, I would be so bold as to say, I can look at your behavior and tell whether you're probably thinking godly or not godly. Because the results are just always there. And I don't say that arrogantly. I say it based on God's word. We have to respect the giver of truth. And if we do, we will do our best to think like he thinks and act like he wants us to act out of those thoughts. Let us say you must replace the sinful wisdom. Um, If you're... um, In Ephesians 4, turn there if you're not there. Ephesians 4, verse 20. Ephesians 4, verse 20, earlier in the chapter, he talks about the futility of the thinking of the Gentiles. And then in verse 20, he says, You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him. Verse 21 of Ephesians 4 if instead you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to its deceitful lusts, and be renewed, what? In the spirit of your mind. Do you understand that this, this passage in Ephesians 4, which is absolutely foundational to the godly life, says... Here's how you start. You start by putting on these renewed thoughts. You're getting your mind renewed. What Jesus tells, what God tells us here is this. You can never stop a sinful behavior, but you can replace it. If I tell you don't lie, there's only one alternative, isn't there? You could just take a vow of silence the rest of your life. But the alternative is, tell the truth. If your thinking is worldly, it has to be replaced with godly thoughts. That's one of the reasons it's so important to be in the Word every day. You read the Word and you you see how God thinks and what God says, and you say, God, help me to think that way and help me to behave that way. We have got to replace the sinful wisdom with godly wisdom. That's... That's what this verse means here. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It is possible for you to change. You are not stuck with the mind you have. I would submit to you that we tell ourselves every, things every day that are not true. I can't. I can't take any more. I can't handle this. I just can't think the way God thinks. No, that's you. That's you putting a limit on. That's not God putting a limit on. Because God says if you're in Christ, everything is new. And there is potential for you to think like the Lord. Anybody know who this is? I shouldn't ask that because... In part, I hope you don't. Student auctions off virginity for offers of more than, currently it's up to about $3.7 million. This was reported, uh, I think this person might be in Great Britain, I'm not sure. Natalie Dillon, age 22, claims her offer of a one-night stand has persuaded 10,000 men to bid for sex with her. Last September, when her auction came to light, she had received bids of up to 243,000, but since then interest has skyrocketed. The student, who has a degree in women's studies, insists she is not demeaning herself. Miss Dillon from San Diego, oh, excuse me, It is she is here in this country, Miss Dillon from San Diego, California, said she was persuaded to offer herself to the highest bidder after her sister Avia, age 23, paid for her own degree by working as a prostitute for three weeks. She said she had a lot of attention from a wide range of men, including weirdos, those who get uh, really graphic about what they want to do and so on. Miss Dillon said she did not think it was particularly significant to be willing to sell her virginity. She insisted that she was happy to undergo medical tests for somebody that doubted. I know that a lot of people condemn me for this because it's so taboo, but I don't really have a problem with that. My study is completely authentic in that I truly am auctioning off my virginity, but I'm not being sold into this. I'm not being taken advantage of in any way. I think me and the person who do this will greatly profit from the deal. (laughs) If that's not Jesus, you better not answer it. (laughs) It's shocking that men will pay so much for someone's virginity, which isn't even prized so highly anymore. Is her thinking natural? She is absolutely the product of the world she lives in. I wouldn't condemn her any more than any other human being in any way because she is thinking natural. What's the big deal? Nobody values this anymore. Christian? Are you out of your mind? I hope so, too. Heavenly Father, help us. Boy, Mm. we look at our thoughts and we just think they are absolutely normal and good. And we don't stop to think. That's our problem. And I pray that you'll help us to do that. God, it's really easy for us to see the foolishness of this young woman's ways, but it's not so easy for us to see the foolishness of our own ways. Help us. Help us see that. And help us not be satisfied until we make the changes that you reveal to us. I pray in Christ's name, amen. We're going to sing a chorus. It's going to be.